What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Mountain Podcast. Here we are again with another episode. I want to thank all you guys for downloading and listening to yesterday's podcast with Samuel on Easter Sunday. It was a dynamic word. We hope you're ready for more. We got more for you. This week, we had a very special guest come to the mountain and continue our Bond series. He's an amazing guy. He's a brother of mine, and he also shares the skeletal features of a giraffe. That's right, Mr. Lawrence Anna, our brother. Usually is a guest on the show, but this week he's preaching here at the mountain. He's bringing a dynamic word out of John 11, I think. I think it's John 11. I'm remembering that it's John 11. Anyway, you guys are going to enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. We can't wait for you to listen to it. Uh, I'll stop talking and I'll let my, my brother do his thing. So Lawrence, take it away. Okay, if you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 11. It's good to see AG, Shantavia. These guys are awesome. Uh, so many great people at this church. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11, if you have your iPhone, whatever you have, we're going to start there. Uh, it's pretty much the whole chapter, so I'm going to just kind of read and paraphrase here and there. So John 11, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place that he was. All right, let's skip down a little bit. Let me find where I want to stay. start. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then I'll just kind of paraphrase the rest of it. So Jesus goes and he finds Lazarus in the tomb. He tells them, uh, and before this, he weeps. John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. And I was telling everyone in the first service, if you're a school of ministry student and you got to memorize scripture, that's the one scripture you want to memorize because it's two words. And so everyone's like, look at me, I'm memorizing scripture. And so John eleven thirty-five, 35, Jesus weeps. And then he goes to the tomb where Lazarus is. He says, hey, remove the stone. They roll the stone away. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes alive from the dead. And then he tells everyone around uh, Lazarus to take the grave clothes off of him. You guys know this story, right? A lot of you guys have heard this. It's a famous story. It's in the Bible. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun. This is where I want to start. Can we just pray first? Holy Spirit, thank you for your spirit that's already in this room. God, thank you for the worship team that did such a great job. Thank you that my wife did worship after a long hiatus. Uh, and Lord, thank you for everyone who was playing. But God, thank you that you're moving on this community. You're moving in this church. Uh, thank you for Chasen and Kai, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 
uh, this is where I want to start. In order for us to understand kind of what we're going to talk about today, I first want us to know a part of life, we all understand that part of life is death, right? Uh, I've been back to uh, where I'm from, Oahu. That's where I grew up. I've been back there twice now because of death, because of funerals. My uncle died of a heart attack. My grandma died. Uh, and I had the pleasure to do and the privilege and the honor to do the services and to do the ministry there and just to shine in the darkest places. And a lot of my family, they don't, they don't believe in Jesus. There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt. But I've been back twice because of death, because people have died. And my first pet I ever had was a bird. Uh, and I had this little bird. His name, it was a parakeet, I think. His name was Lope, which in Hawaiian means stupid. I had the opportunity to name my, my bird. My parents gave me the, the privilege, and I named him Lope, which means stupid. And so he died. My bird dies. <laughs> and then, but some of you have parents where if your pet would die, they wouldn't tell you straight up, like, what happened to him, right? You ever have parents like this? Like your dog dies, and you come home from school, and your parents don't have the heart to tell you that someone ran him over or whatever it is, so they make up a story. Oh, we took him to a farm where there's lots of fields, and he can run all day, and there's bones every single day that he has. All oh, the dogs there are super friendly. There's no fighting, right? Like, they tell you this made-up story because they don't have the heart to tell you, hey, your dog got ran over, and we had to scrape him off the street and then dump him in the, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Like, this is what your parents would think. Like, we got to protect our kids, so we're not going to tell them that they died. But all of us understand, because we're living, because we're alive, we understand hurt, loss, brokenness, death. I, I shared this earlier this, in the first services. I love Disney. How many, any Disney fans out there? Disneyland is what, what do they say? It's the happiest place on earth, Right? I don't understand how they got that because you wait in line for hours, your kids complain even though you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars. Wait, how much is that turkey leg? Seven dollars, whatever it is, you know what I mean? And your kids are like, oh, no, it's not enough. You know, I'm like, okay, all right, okay. Glad we took this trip, you know. And so Disneyland is the happiest place on earth and you go there and you wait in line for hours and you get on a ride that lasts two minutes and all these things. But the dark side about Disney, if you ever watch their movies, is they're, they're sick, they kill everybody. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about how Disney bought Marvel and it's like these grown-up movies. I'm talking about the cartoons, the kid movies. They kill everybody. In the, when you watch a Disney movie, there is not a person that is safe, especially if it's the parents. Almost every Disney movie, the parents die right away. Like, think about it. Almost every single one, they die. Let me, okay, you're watching a cartoon it's a beautiful forest. Looks like, looks like Utah. Oh, it's so beautiful. And these, these deer are frolicking. And then, bam! Bambi's mom shot and killed drive-by shooting. <laughs> you guys know it? This is a fact. Have you ever seen Bambi? Here's the other thing. Sam's talking about orphans in, in, uh, during the transition. Bambi's now an orphan. His dad's too busy working. And then when he shows up, he just comes prancing. You remember that scene? Remember the scene where he shows up in, like, slow-mo and everyone in the forest is like, oh, we got to chill because this dude is the king of the forest, whatever he is. Shot and killed Bambi. What about, what about this one? Lion King. That's right. Yeah, you should make that sound. What happens to Mufasa? He's a good father. Scar throws him off a cliff. Simba, as a little kid, goes, I did this. And, and now they're making a live action version where we can see it in real life. Yeah. The cartoon wasn't traumatic enough. You're going to watch it in real life in summertime. Remember he does this? Falls back in slow-mo. 
Dude. Kill Mufasa. It's like Disney gets in a room, they go, what should we do to a really loving, great father? Kill him. Great idea. Let's do it. What about this movie? Anna and Elsa in Frozen. Their parents are like, we're going on a cruise. They get on the Titanic. They die. They drown. Right? Every Disney movie. After that scene, they should have sang the Titanic song, the near, far, wherever. Guys, fun fact, in, in junior high, I would talk all the time, and I would get in trouble all the time because the teacher would try and talk, and I would be like, I want to talk, and I would just talk to people around me. And so this is what would happen. They would put me in a corner by myself, and I would always sing uh, all by myself. Then they'd kick me out of class. They didn't realize I had a gift for communication. I want to talk. Let me talk. Let me say something. Cinderella, they keep her in an attic. They treat her like trash. They treat her like garbage. You want to go to the ball? You can't go to the ball. Clean this house. And then she hangs out with rats. Like she, her life's terrible. Here's the last one. Mice, rats, they're the same. My wife said mice. Guys, by the way, this is my wife, Christine. Uh, she was up here. She is my best friend. She's not just my wife. She's my best friend. She's amazing. I was sharing earlier, uh, my brother-in-law, Levi, who is here, he's a buffer version of David Beckham. I just pray that he would impart some muscles into my life. Um, but he was here, he left, but he posted on his Instagram, Warren Buffett said something about the best thing you can do in life is to find someone better than you. And I 100% did that because she is far beyond better. I don't know. If I didn't marry Christine, I would probably be, I don't know. Where do you think I'd be if I didn't marry you, babe? I'd be on the streets. I'd be dead. <laughs> I'd be dead. I'd be all by myself. Don't want to be. Oh, get out of class, Lawrence. Okay. Here's the last one I want to tell you guys. There is a movie that I watch, and they're, they're the same. There's just one's a cartoon version, one's a real movie. There's Fox and the Hound. You guys get it. That's what I like. You guys understand. Some of you are like, hey, my life was good, but those Disney movies messed me up, and I'm still trying to process. Fox and the Hound, and the real version of Fox and the Hound is a movie called Blood In, Blood Out. And if you guys never seen Blood In, Blood Out, let me explain this to you. First off, do not watch Blood In, Blood Out. It is bad. It is a gangster movie, and basically, here, okay, so the Fox and the Hound, by nature, we know that they cannot be friends. They can't. It's just nature. It happens. He's a, a hound. He has to look for foxes, and he's a fox. He's wild. But blood in, blood out is, I really think that some people saw Fox and the Hound. They go, you know what would be awesome is if we made Fox and the Hound, but instead of a fox, he was a gangster. And then instead of a, a, a hound, we got the popo. And so basically, uh, blood and blood out is brothers. One of them goes to jail. One of them becomes a cop during that time. They're still family, but one's in a gang, one's the police. Same thing with Fox and the Hound. They're like together, but they can't be together. You know what I mean? Yeah, you guys get it. Cool. Here's the point. Disney kills everybody. They kill everyone. If there's a happy story, they're going to ruin it. They're going to mess it up. Something's going to happen. Someone's going to die. If you're a mom in a Disney movie, get prepared to get hit by a butt or something's happening to you. Here, let's start here. Jesus hears about Lazarus. We read this, right? Jesus hears about Lazarus, and what did he do? He stayed two more days. And this is where I want to start because you guys are on a series of bond, and Jesus did have a bond with Lazarus. This is one instance where Jesus finds out about his friend, his road dog, his homie Lazarus, and he goes, 
he weeps over him because he had a connection to Lazarus. So they go, hey, Jesus, our brother's dying. We need you to come. And he stays two more days, and Lazarus dies in that time. And this is where I want to start because it must have been confusing for Mary, Martha, the disciples to see Jesus heal random people. Blind person encounters Jesus, no longer blind. Deaf person encounters Jesus, no longer deaf. Jesus did so many miracles for strangers, and when it came to someone that he had a bond and a connection with, he stayed two more days, which is really interesting. And this is what I want to start to get at is if if you get to a place where you invite some people to your house, you're like, I'm having a party. If I invited Johnny Moe, Johnny Morales, hey, come to my house, man, I have a party. He doesn't show up. Instantly I'm going to be like, man, did I offend him? Did I call him a name? Did I say something? You start to process through, did I do something for my friend not to show up to my party, my bridal shower, my baby shower, whatever it is. And as a man, one of my life goals is to avoid every baby shower possible. I don't want to go to a baby shower. It's not in my heart. It's not my desire. I don't want to go and find out what it is or whatever. You know, I, don't, I don't even care. Hey, send me a text and I'll, I'll send you a shaka emoji back. You know what I mean? Like that's all. I, my life is trying to avoid certain parties like that. Weddings, my sister just got married. Hey, we get it. You got married. I love you, Lacey. You're awesome. You're incredible. I could, I could go out without another wedding. They're all the same. They're all the same. If I really love you, then I'll show up and I'll clap and do all those things. But I don't want to go to these parties all the time. Jesus doesn't show up to his own friends, someone he had a bond with, a connection with. And this is where I want to start. In John 10.10, you guys know this story or this scripture. It says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to bring, what what is the scripture? I have come to bring life and life more, what? abundantly. You guys all know this scripture. You guys understand it. It's a scripture that we always quote, we always use. But in this story, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not just the life, I'm the resurrection and the life. You hear me? Look at someone say, he's the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. And in order to experience resurrection life, you first need to experience death. You guys hear what I'm saying? In order for Jesus to resurrect Lazarus, he first has to be dead. In order for us to experience resurrection life, we have to go through seasons and places that are dead. We have to go through things in our life that seem like, God, I don't understand why I'm here. It feels so dead. Maybe it's because he wants you to understand that he's not just the life. He's the resurrection and the life. Come on. He's the resurrection and the life. This is so interesting. Jesus stays two days, he shows up to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus on the fourth day. As I was reading through the commentaries, I found something very interesting out, is that the Jewish people, their tradition, they believed that the spirit of the person would hover over the person for three days, and on the fourth day, the spirit would look at the person and go, okay, we're really dead, and it would leave. This is why Jewish people, like you see, Lazarus is buried in a cave. He's not buried underground. Because they believe that this could have, like in three days, maybe the spirit chooses, hey, we're alive, we're not dead. This was a a tradition that they had. When Jesus is buried, he's buried in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of him. And this is what I want you guys to hear is Jesus shows up on the fourth day. When you look into Jesus' life, you understand one thing. He never does anything on accident. Everything he does is with purpose, it's with intention, and he only does what he sees his Father in heaven do. He said it. He said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven do. 
So when he stayed two more days, he must have seen his father doing the same thing. When he decided to go in the town to to raise Lazarus from the dead, he must have seen his father doing the same thing. Are you guys tracking with me? And he shows up on a day where in that tradition it would have been the day where it was the most grief and the most sorrow. The fourth day. Jesus, they say it, both sisters, if you had just been here, our brother would still be alive. Jesus, if you had just showed up, our brother would still be alive. And he shows up in the day where it's the most hopeless, the most broken, the most sorrow. And can I tell you, that's the type of Jesus we serve. He shows up. When you feel like you have no way out, Jesus shows up. When you feel the most hopeless, the most broken, the most messed up, that's when he shows up. That's what I love about Lord of the Rings. You guys ever watch Lord of the Rings? It is constantly scene after scene of outnumbered, no way you're getting out of here. We need a miracle to get out of the minds of Mori, wherever they're at. Jesus shows up and he sets them free, gets them out of every situation, every problem. It's constantly number after number after number of enemies versus a couple of good guys and they somehow get out. And that's what Jesus does. And wherever you're at this morning... He shows up to your most broken, your most hurting, your most desperate places. That's when he comes. I had the opportunity one time to pray at a vigil uh, where, like, basically, if you don't know what a vigil is, they get together in a park. They light candles for someone who just passed away. Someone knew me that knew the person who passed away, this young lady who was killed in, a, uh, uh, like, a car accident. She had a little girl. I show up to this vigil. No one knows me. I just got connected somehow. The guy tells me to get there at like 7.30 p.m. So I'm on track for 7.30, but everyone, I guess, starts showing up. So he's like texting me frantically, hey, can you get here quicker? Everyone's here. I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get there. I'm on my way. I'm like planning for 7.30. I'm almost there. So I get there. I park. I run over there, and everyone's just in a circle, a bunch of people, maybe 50 people who are trying to remember and honor this young lady's life. They were all friends and family. So I run over there, and I get on the phone because I don't know where this guy's at. And he's like, hey, uh, are you here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm here. And everyone around the circle is looking at me like, dude, do you know what's happening here? Get off the phone. And so the guy's like, I'm in the dead center of the circle. So I, I crawl through, and once they realize I'm, like, just there to, like, pray and stuff, they're like, okay, this guy's not a monster who just gets on the phone around vigils and stuff. So I get in the center, and I, I read the scripture where Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. I said, I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you think is true or not. But I know this is that God is near to the brokenhearted. And I just asked, and in that moment at the park, at Lone Mountain, whatever park that is down there, I said, God, would you just fall on every person in here? People started crying. I didn't give a message. I didn't talk about G. All I said is he's near to the brokenhearted. And he began to touch people in the park. Minutes after, I think people started smoking weed and all these things and whatever. But guess what? I planted a seed in that moment where Jesus' presence came in their most desperate, most broken place. And God began to move in that park. And that's when he shows up. That's what's so amazing about Jesus is he shows up even in your most broken, messed up places. I speak to the youth uh, a lot on Wednesday nights. We have a youth group. Sarah helps. She's awesome. But the thing I love about the youth is they keep me honest. Like, I never feel like, not never, but it's rare that I leave speaking to the youth going, I'm the man. Because when you speak to high school kids, they don't care. They don't care about anything you say, about anything you do. They don't care. And I love it because it keeps me honest. I'm like, God, I really need you tonight because I'm speaking to these guys. As much as I love them and I connect with them and I enjoy being around them, when you speak to them, it's another thing. 
It's like totally different. You could be preaching your heart out, and you're like, come on, you guys want to give your heart to Jesus. They take their AirPods out, because now it's like, what'd you say, Pat? Nothing, just forget it, whatever. We'll just, we'll just move on. But I love speaking to them, but I speak on Wednesdays, and sometimes I speak on Sundays, I'm speaking here. But this is what I want you guys to hear, is that we don't want to just talk about the promises of Jesus, which I, very, I 100% I believe in the promises. When God says that all his promises are yes and amen, that he's going to provide for us, he's going to heal us, he's going to save us, all those things... I believe, but as speakers and preachers and teachers and those people, we need to start talking more about the processes to the promises of Jesus. Because here's the problem is when you go home and all you hear about the, is the promises, you're going to go, God, why is my life the complete opposite of what your word says? Why is my life the complete opposite of what I hear every single Sunday? I am not living in the promises. God, you said you're my provider. I can't even pay my bills. God, you said that you're this and you're that, but I am not healed. I'm still sick. See, when you only hear about the promises, you will get stuck in the process. But when you start talking about the processes of Jesus, you go, oh, I'm not stuck. I'm just in a process. Someone invited me to speak at their church in September out of state. It's the first time I've been invited out of state. Can I tell you what my first thought was? God, am I ready? Have I been hidden enough? Have I been in a place of obscurity where nobody knows who I am? Have I been hidden enough? In the places that we are hidden and getting crushed, that's where you got to go, Jesus, I have nothing else but to hang on to you. If you only hear about the promises, you're going to go, why is my life contrary to this? But when you understand that there is a process, you look throughout the Bible, David is anointed king. He spends years and years hiding in caves, running away from Saul, getting spears thrown at him. Joseph is, has an amazing dream. He gets thrown in a pit by his own brothers, sold out. Ends up walking out his destiny eventually. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in a fire. Daniel in a lion's den. Paul beat so many times. Job, right? This is the reality. When you go, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, it costs you everything. It takes everything. When I married my wife, I wasn't like, I'll marry you, babe, and we can hang out just on Monday. No, it was every single day I want to be with you when my breath stinks, when my attitude stinks. I want to be with you and you only forever. And guess what? It's not just a promise. It's also a process to love my wife, for her to love me, for me to die every single day. So I don't understand what you're saying, babe, but I'm going to die more. And I'm not always good at it. Sometimes I'm really alive. No, I ain't doing that. A couple days later when I realize, okay, yeah, I got to figure this out, then I got to die. Jesus is doing something so incredible. He's doing something so amazing, but you got to understand you're in the process. And if you're not experiencing the full promise, maybe you're just in the process. And when you understand that, it should give you strength to move through to the promises. It's in the crushing places where you go, Jesus, I need you so much. If I don't have you, I'm not going to make it. And I shared this earlier in the first service. I don't know much about shooting bows and arrows. I've shot them a couple times, but I know if you put an arrow in a bow and you pull it a tiny bit, it'll just go whoop, right? If you pull it back further, it'll go further, right? That's like the gist of bows and arrows. I should write a book on it, I guess. Here's what bows and arrows do. But this is what I believe. Some of you guys are like, hey, I've taken steps forward with Jesus. I'm going to share a story about my dad in a little bit, and he was changed overnight, uh, Paul and Saul to Paul, right? You guys know Saul on the way to Damascus. He encounters God overnight. He's different. But most people that I encounter in the church, they go, I really love Jesus, but I'm still hung up on some stuff. Most of the time, it's a process that we're walking through. And some of you feel like, man, I've taken steps forward. I've gotten touched at church. But most of the time, I feel like I end up going backwards. 
And I really believe that Jesus is protecting you in a way that he's, what seems like you're going backwards, he's actually pulling you back like that arrow so that he can shoot you further than you ever thought you could go. Come on. Here, here's what's the truth. Here's the truth. Is your ability, your natural ability, it's without repentance. You have gifts no matter what happens. Like look at Kanye West or whoever these famous people are who are very talented. Their ability got them somewhere. That's just a fact. You have talents. You have abilities. And your ability is going to bring you somewhere. But what Jesus cares about is that you would grow the character to keep you there. And so in the crushing seasons... In the places where you feel obscure and you feel like nobody knows you, that's where you got to cling to Jesus and go, when you're getting squeezed, the good things are coming out. The bad, oh, man, I struggle with anger. i got to figure this out so that when I get pushed out, when I get sent out, when I get launched, I have the character to remain there. Jesus doesn't just care that you would bear fruit. He, he cares that you would bear fruit that remains. I'm not perfect, guys. I'm not telling you. Something that I, I'm like, hey, listen to me. I want you to know what I know. I want, it, I want you guys to hear what I'm learning. This is what I'm learning is that Jesus, when he shows up, that he's the life, but he's also the resurrection and the life. And when he shows up, when you understand the processes that you're not going backwards, you're actually getting launched for him to do something incredible in your life. So enjoy the times where no one knows your name. Enjoy the times where you're hidden. Enjoy the times where you're struggling to figure things out. Enjoy those times because when you can find Jesus in those times, when you get launched to the place you're supposed to go, you're going to remain. You're going to have the character to sustain you. Here's the next thing. I believe that Jesus is rolling the stone away. I, um, I started getting this message like a few weeks ago on my devotions. I just Like something hit me in a way that it never hit me before in this story. And I started praying. I was like, Jesus, you're doing something. I know you're saying something. And so I was at church like a, a week or so after I started getting this message on a Sunday morning. And I started getting like these visions of myself as a young man, as a boy, as a little boy. And I started to think about my dad. I started to think about my mom. And I want to kind of give you guys a quick nutshell version of like my family. So my dad was severely abused by his father, like severely abused. My mom, severely abused by her mom, didn't have a dad, all kinds of stuff. I heard a story uh, that my mom told me one time, and uh, I didn't share this in the first service, but I heard a story at one time my grandma was so out of her mind that she tried to light my mom on fire. Like, this is the real. Then my dad told me a story where he lifted up my uncle, his brother, to the ceiling of their house, dropped him, drop kicked him, broke all his ribs as a child. My dad told me he was beat with two-by-fours, water hoses, hang. He's like, anything that my dad could get his hands on, I was beat with it. Then he died when my dad was 11. So imagine, abuse, 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 gone. Not around anymore. Then my parents get together, severely broken, severely abused. They have me. I'm the first child. I'm the oldest in my family. I was around six years before my other sister came, so I was like basically an only child for six years. And even when she came, it still felt like we're so separate, so far apart. And my dad would party. He would drink. He was an addict. He was all kinds of things. For years, I thought he smoked cigarettes. And then when I was in high school, I was like, yeah, Dad, remember you used to smoke cigarettes? He's like, no, 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 that was weed. I was like, oh, okay. Good to clear things up. I'm glad we're on the same. Right on. Right on. So he tells me that and all this stuff. And I remember this story, and I, said, I, I told the guys earlier, I remember this story. My dad 
my uncles, his friends, they would all come to my house. They would party. They would drink. They would eat raw fish. What do you do in Hawaii? You don't wear T-shirts if you're a guy in Hawaii also. They'd sing karaoke. They'd watch boxing. And they would just party every night almost. One night, they walk over to these gangbangers' house because we lived in kind of a bad area. And they're like, hey, come outside. We want to talk to you guys. And they refuse to come out. And my dad goes, I want you guys to know something. It's a new sheriff in town. That's what he told him. It's like a movie. My neighbor behind me was stabbed nine times to death. Like, this is where I grew up. It was crazy. And as a boy, on Sunday morning, I'm getting these flashes of, man, I don't know if I realized how bad it was when I was growing up. And I'm thinking about this on that Sunday morning and thinking about guys riding their bikes past our apartment and, like, nodding to my dad. Like, he was a, it was almost like he was a mob boss. It was weird. It was really weird. Nine years old. My mom and I would go to church all the time by ourselves. When I was nine years old, my dad goes, I'm going to church with you guys. First time ever. He was super high-functioning addict. He would show up to work every day at 5, 3 o'clock in the morning. He still does the same thing. He's a monster of a man. He still does the same thing. And he goes, I'm going to church with you guys when I was nine years old. I run into the cafeteria. We had church in this cafeteria in, in this one of these schools. We'd set up every morning. We'd tear down every morning. And I run in because I'm playing with my friends. And I see all these people surrounding my dad. And he has one hand raised and a tear dripping down his eyes. And that day he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And this is what I want you guys to hear is the years of abuse, of brokenness for him, for my mom. Jesus showed up that morning. And he rolled the stone away. And on Sunday morning, that's what I felt in, in the service. I felt, Jesus, you're still rolling the stone away. And here's the problem with religion is when you come and you come to the church and you're just so used to religion and you miss out that there's an actual Jesus in this room who goes, when I show up, I can roll the stone away. And all your addiction and all your brokenness and all your depression and all your anxiety, I can move it away. Religion doesn't do that. Jesus does that. And when you connect to him and he begins to move the stone away, my kids are different because my dad gave his heart to Jesus. And someone who was an addict, who was broken, who was angry, who walked down the street and said, there's a new sheriff in town, gave his life to Jesus, and overnight he was different. Come on. I understand that's not most people's story. I understand that it might take you time. It might take you years before you get to where Jesus is taking you. But this morning, if you let him, he can move the stone away. What happens if we stop playing church and we come here because we have to or we come here because, oh, well, I don't know, I just want to be a part of it. No, no, what happens if you go, Jesus, take every part of me, touch every part of my heart. Take my brokenness and change me. Take my bitterness and change me. I want to tell you guys this. is In film writing and screenwriting, there's something that's known as writing is rewriting. And if you don't know what it is, I'm going to explain it to you. Most writers say this, is that they can't even write a script unless they know that the first draft is garbage, basically. Basically, they get an idea and they go, I'm not writing a masterpiece on my first draft, I'm just getting it out. And then there's revision after revision after revision after revision until the first draft is something that you can go, hey, we got something here. That's what most screenwriters, scriptwriters believe, is that the first draft is just trash, and in the Bible, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And this is what I want you guys to hear this morning. No matter where you started, there is someone who's been writing the narrative of your life, who has been writing the script of your life, and this is what he does. As the author, he rewrites. So your first draft might be trash. Your first part of your life might be garbage. You might have been abused. You might have been beat. You might have been whatever, fill in the blank. But when Jesus shows up, your narrative can change. 
Because writing is rewriting. And that's what Jesus is in the business of doing. Oh, you started this way? Think about it. Every person who shows up to Jesus, they show up blind, they leave being able to see. They show up dead, they leave, uh, leave alive. They show up deaf, they leave being able to hear. They show up lame, they leave being able to walk. The adulterous woman shows up in adultery and she leaves going and sinning no more. When you encounter him, you are different. The narrative changes. That's amazing. It's incredible. That's the type of Jesus we serve is that when you meet him, your story changes. Lazarus' story should have been Lazarus died, fade to black, the movie's over. But then Jesus showed up, and the whole story changed. Do you know, when he went there, it was a dangerous time. Even his disciples go, Jesus, are you going to go back there? Last time you were there, they wanted to stone you. He goes, no, no, we got to go back there. And when he raised Lazarus from the dead, it was the very thing that propelled him to go to the cross. Because the testimony of Lazarus was too powerful for people to keep quiet. Jesus shows up in the most broken, hard time, and Lazarus comes back to life. When it should have been fade to black, it was, but then Jesus showed up. And every one of you in here, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've been through, if you can understand that Jesus is rewriting your final draft, your second version, your third version can be way better than the first draft. Well, that's going to do it for us today here on the Mountain Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you rate and review, subscribe, get your friends to subscribe, go back and listen to some of our other old content. We want you guys to have the best of the best. Uh, we want to thank all 7,000 plus people that have listened or downloaded the show all around the world. Uh, your thoughts and your hearts are totally with us. We appreciate everything that you're doing to help this podcast spread and get people uh, exactly what they need for the week. So we want to thank you so, so much tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have a discussion ready for you guys with Sam and myself. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your week for the Mountain Podcast. My name is Donovan, and we'll talk to you guys later.